Welcome along to the 98 Not Out podcast in this edition uh, with myself, Darren Musu, and Paul Webb. Nice and to guest, yeah, exactly. And our guest uh, this week is uh, one of the great names of both English and West Indian cricket is Mr. Roland Butcher. Remember, if you enjoy what we're doing, make sure you subscribe, tell your friends, and let's get into it. Roland, it's a pleasure to welcome you to 98 Night Out and uh, to see you on English shores. Uh, last time we caught up with you, you were back in Barbados. Um, how are you doing? Darren, it's great, and um, thanks for inviting me to come back onto the shore. Always a pleasure to speak to you and Paul, and um, everything's fine. Just having a good time. Now, I wanted to ask you about the current state that West Indies cricket finds itself in. The World Cup is underway. We've had that fantastic game between India, Pakistan, England are playing. But the tournament is missing one of the great names of T20 cricket, West Indies, who were the winners uh, back in 2016, but this time didn't even make it through to the final stages. And I just wanted to ask for your thoughts on uh, what this means both to the game of cricket and also to the people back home in the West Indies. Yeah, I think first and foremost, what I would say is that, you know, the performances um, were pretty disappointing. Um, but I think you'd have to look a lot further back than just this one performance. I think West Indies cricket really much has been in decline for the last 25 years. Something that we know and the rest of the world know. And we were obviously hoping that, you know, it'd be much better signs. The last World Cup, as you know, um, which was early in the year, similar problems, even though the team was different, where they played most of the older players and the result really was no different. So I could understand why this World Cup, they decided to go with a much younger group of players to try to give them a chance. Now, saying all of that, that is fine, but I still feel that the performances, certainly against Ireland and Scotland, should have been a lot better um, than they were. And that has caused really a lot of problems um, in the West Indies, not just for administrators, but I think mainly the supporters who are who've suffered for a long time. So it's a, it's a pretty devastating blow, something that really they've got to, you know, get back up from. And I don't believe that West Indies could just lay down and die because they have contributed so much to this game of cricket that we all love, that it's important that um, they get back on their feet quickly. Alan, you mentioned that it's a, it's a young side they've gone with at the moment. Um, obviously, sides need, any, in any sport, in uh, any walk of life, need a, need a leader, need a talisman at the top. Uh, and over the years, obviously, West Indies cricket has had some some incredible leaders. Um, more recently, you know, Darren, Sammy, Jason Holder, or Chris Gale's always been around, and and you can go further back than that. Um, is there a problem with leadership at the moment, or is it just that it's a, an emerging group of players? Well, I think there are many many things. Um, you know, it's an emerging group. When I say young, that some of them may not be young in age, but they're young in experience. And you know, experience at first-class international level is is of much more importance. Um, I think in cricket in general, um, I mean, most of those players haven't played a huge amount of cricket. Uh, if you look at the current setup in the in the region in terms of cricket, we don't have the depth of players as we had obviously many years ago, you know, when you talk about Richards Greenwich and Haynes and those guys, I mean, you're talking about the very best, the best that compete in the world, not just in the Caribbean. So, you know, we're certainly nowhere near uh, that, that level. Uh, so really, 
you know, it's a case of trying to do the best that you can with what you have at the moment in time. And it really, as I said, with the lack of experience uh, at this level and the lack of success over a long period, I think is really hindering any West Indies team that goes on the park. And that's a trend that has to be reversed. And because, you know, losing is like winning, you know, you get into the habit and it stays a habit. So really that is a, a habit that West Indies need to break. They need to find the formula very quickly to at least in the beginning to be competitive um, against the bigger teams, you know, and then you can get confidence from that. You know, if you're getting blown away all the time, then the confidence is eroded. Right now, I, I think there's a crisis of confidence. Talking to friends uh, across the Caribbean, for a while now, franchise cricket has been seen as um, a danger to West Indian cricket. And um, the fact that that generation of players, Andre Russell, Chris Gale, Bravo, etc., were prioritising playing in something like the IPL or the Big Bash over playing for the West Indies. It was kind of hoped that there would be uh, some kind of give and take with this, but by allowing players to go and play overseas in T20s, that when they came back to play for the West Indies, um, West Indies would be stronger as a T20 side. We saw that in 2016. Um, how has that fallen away in the last uh, few years, just in the T20 format? Well, I think West Indies is the first team really in world cricket that has fall that has um, a victim of, as you can see, their success. I mean, the success of those players in IPL, etc., has meant that they had continued to play in other T20s at the expense of playing for the West Indies. So that certainly has been an issue. It's an issue now that is hitting a lot of the other countries, um, you know, but we have had to endure that for probably nearly 10 years. And that, you know, with a small population like the Caribbean, you cannot afford to have your best players for extended periods missing. And that's been the case. Now, England and others are now beginning to realise that with more and more T20 tournaments being set up, that they're going to fall prey to the same thing. And they're making moves now to try and protect that. Um, obviously, <clears throat> the West Indies approach administration-wise has been to um, never um, say no to NOC because they're, you know, then it brings all other things into place. The players may want to sue for um, restraint of trade and all kinds of stuff. So yeah. the West Indies have tried to be very accommodating, but at the same time, you know, I would have expected the players to, to do the same. And there are very good examples around the world of players who balance um, between, um, say, like the IPL and other T20 and their national teams. And the Australians are particularly good at that. Um, you know, I go back as far as Shane Watson and people like that, who once Australia is playing, <clears throat> they are playing. They would either go to those tournaments before or after, but they would not foresee playing for Australia and go and play in the entire tour. Um, West Indies have had to live with that um, for an extended period. And you can see the fallout from that is because your best players are not playing in the team to help gel the team and to bring the youngsters along. And it really got to the stage where those players were just making themselves available for big tournaments. And that cannot be um, to the benefit of West Indies cricket. You need committed players. Yes, everybody has to earn a, a living, but I believe a good living can be earned by balancing the, the, the two. And, you know, they're, they're already earning good livings in terms of central contracts. But what happened during that period was that those 
considered superstars elected not to have a central contract, which made them a free agent because they wanted to do um, exactly what, what they wanted to do. Nothing wrong with that, uh, but it, it certainly has affected um, the whole development of, of West Indies cricket. Has the CPL been a success in terms of raising the game on the islands? Well, the CPL is, in a, is a success um, in, it, in its own right. Obviously, it doesn't compare with the likes of um, the IPL or the Big Bash or <clears throat> another 100, etc., in terms of attracting the, the sort of talent. Because the time that's played in the year is conflicting really with um, other major events. Um, obviously, the IPL is played early in the year, but now you've got the 100, and a lot of the big players certainly want to play in that, and that's a month out in the summer around the same time as the CPL. So CPL doesn't really get the very big players. And, you know, I think you need the top players in your game because you're, they're not going to be there for a long time. So you need that sort of impact in the game to assist the young players coming through. Um, so it's working in a way, but because of those lack of quality players um, playing the CPL, uh, for me, it, it just really is, a, is another of a, another T20 tournament that perhaps, <clears throat> um, you know, obviously it captivates people in the Caribbean spectators because there's no other T20 tournament of, of any magnitude in the Caribbean that they can watch. Obviously, they watch all the APL, etc. on TV. But in terms of live cricket, that's the only cricket they can watch. Um, I would like to see them being able to attract um, you know, the big players, if that means maybe having to change the, the season for it, I don't know. But right now, uh, it's serving a purpose, but it, it could do a lot better. One of the headlines um, just ahead of this World Cup campaign for the West Indies was the omission from the squad of Shimon Hetmeyer um, because he didn't uh, catch a plane in time, even though they kind of accommodated for him to arrive slightly later than the rest of the squad. Uh, is discipline a, a problem for, for West Indies with, with players kind of not taking it as seriously or doing as they're told? Well, I, I am not sure um, in terms of the discipline situation. I mean, in Hetmeyer's case, I really don't know the background to that. What I do know is that obviously he was selected in the West Indies team. The team was supposed to leave on a particular date. Um, he told them he couldn't leave on that date, which was fine. Um, West Indies accommodated that, made arrangements with him for another date. And on that date, he said he couldn't make it. So I don't know what else West Indies could do. The team had gone off to Australia. They needed to go and acclimatize. Um, the World Cup is the biggest T20 tournament in the world, um, something that you know, people will cut their right arms and left arms off the player in. And for the team to be disrupted before even, well, leave the, left the region um, because one of its supposedly better players had, um, for whatever reason, I have no idea what those reasons were. All you keep hearing is uh, personal reasons. Um, but just before the, the second flight supposed to leave, um, you know, gets a call to say that, you um, couldn't make it. Um, I don't think, as far as I understand that, 
there was anything that he said that I could go the next day or the next day or whatever. Um, so really, I don't know a great deal about that situation apart from what I've just said there. It, it cannot be a good way to start a tournament. And, you know, the results after that really confirm that uh, there is a problem. Yeah, Ricky Skerritt was, was put out a scathing statement um, after the West Indies lost to Ireland. Uh, and, and he pointed fingers very much at the batting and the inability of uh, the, 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 the batters in the side to really carry um, their duties out. Um, it seemed to me that the bowlers were okay as far as he was concerned, but he very much was skating about the batters. And then, of course, we've seen Phil Simmons step down as, uh, as, as head coach. Now, Phil Simmons was in charge when West Indies won the trophy in 2016. Where do you think West Indies cricket goes from here, Ronan? Well, I would imagine the only place they can go from here is up because they're <laughs> very much at the bottom um, of the barrel now, really. So I think they've got to take an optimistic view that really things cannot get any worse than they are now. And really, we've got to look to build, certainly from where we are, and, and try and climb back up um, out of the well because right now we are at the bottom of the well and um, it doesn't feel too good down there. I think it's pretty wet, pretty dark. So you want to see the light of day. Um, they've got to look upwards because, as I said, you know, you cannot get worse than what's happening right now. This really has been um, for West Indies. And I say West Indies, I'm talking about as a region. Um, I think this effort in Australia really has confirmed, if they didn't know before that, we've got a lot of work to do to bring West Indies cricket anywhere near uh, what's expected of, of a team and and not just team, but the region of the West Indies in terms of cricket for what they've achieved in the past and the standing that they have in the world game. Um, it brings to everybody's mind that there's so much work that has to be done. Is it maybe the wake-up call that they needed? Do you think there was a bit of coasting and, you know, kind of going through the motions and now this is actually the, the shot that they needed to have? No, I don't think so. I think the wake-up call has been there for 25 years. I mean, if you haven't heard the wake-up call in 25 years, then either you're deaf <laughs> or, or, or there is a problem. But, I mean, that has been there for a long time. We've all known about the batting, the challenges with the batting, um, the challenges with running between the wicket. All of those are things that have been known for a very long time. What, what really was not expected that in the qualifying period that against um, Scotland and Ireland, um, who are emerging nations, that you would perform so so poorly, and you know I I believe also that you know the game they won was for me I think was was the the strong the stronger team on paper in the um, in the group Zimbabwe in terms of their performances of late, you know they beat Zimbabwe, beat Zimbabwe. Um, I am not. Put, saying anything against the performances of Scotland and Ireland because they performed um, very well and Ireland is continuing that um, that performance as well. So, you know, they have done well. Obviously, they have been keen to impress at the World Cup and they've got it right. Um, I don't think there was any... I don't think West Indies were in a position to take Scotland or Ireland lightly because of their own tenuous position. And the, the way that they've been playing, I would imagine that they would have gone in there, you know, desperately wanting to to beat them and not really thinking that any, 
that, that, that could just coast and, and get through. You know, I, I always believed personally that um, that was going to be a very, very difficult assignment uh, based on um, the team that West Indies had and what we, the players we have available to, to ourselves, that, you know, it wasn't going to be a walk in the park, that you would have had to play good cricket. Quite often in these um, games and these tournaments where there are only a few games, you know, the start is vitally important. You know, you get off to a bad start and really, you know, in the th if there's three games, there's very little chance to recover because there are too many possibilities after that. You know, you could have a no result. You could have a, you know, you have no result the next game and suddenly, even if you win the last game, you can still be out. So the start uh, was the key and really losing that first game to Scotland really put them under tremendous pressure. Now, as we said at the top of the interview, you are over here in the UK. Uh, and first of all, our biggest congratulations to you, Roland, for receiving the freedom of the City of London, a very, very high honour. And you received that for being the first uh, black player to represent England uh, at top-level cricket. Um, that must have been quite a big moment for you to receive that award. Yeah, Darren, it was. And um, the, the reward wasn't just really... For that, I mean, obviously, it was for my other contributions um, to London in terms of the charity work that I have done over a period of time, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, you know, the freedom was um, as a result of what I did as a cricketer, but I think equally as much for the charity work that I've done and continue to do um, in, in in the city of London. Uh, yeah, obviously, a great honour and a privilege, um, something that I never expected. Um, Sometimes the best things are ones that you don't expect. So I was very, very proud to, to receive the honour. And, um, you know, I really hope that others um, who have seen me receiving this honour can say to themselves, well, if I make a sort of contribution as well, that I could have a similar situation happen to me as well. I think that means you can now herd sheep over Tower Bridge or something, doesn't it? So any, <laughs> any plans? Well, yes, yes. And then and, and get drunk in the city of London without being arrested. But <laughs> <laughs> I think both of those are wasted on me, really. <laughs> and you're um, speaking at the House of Houses of Parliament very soon as well? Yes, um, that is Friday. Again, part of the whole Black History uh, Month's celebration. Yeah, I'll be speaking in the House of Parliament on Friday morning. Um, so that should be another um, exciting assignment and looking forward to that as well. And when do you head back to sunny Barbados? Well, I'm going to leave sunny England in around December and um, it has been very sunny and I've enjoyed that this summer. It's been fantastic. And even at this late stage at the end of October, uh, the weather is still, still fine. So, yeah, December is when I'm going to certainly head back home. Um, I don't think the wife will... Um, Put up with too much more time away. <laughs> no, but it'd be nice. It'd be nice. It'd be nice to get back and you know get to the beach and put my feet up and you know do some other things as well. Yeah, Darren, most certainly. And uh, what I would like to say, Darren, is that there's one other. Um, I went to the Oval on Saturday night to the Ace Awards dinner, um, which Ebony and the crew they're doing a fantastic job and they had an awards dinner which was very very well um, done. Um, and awards, and it was fantastic to see, you know, what has happened over this last year in terms of the ACE program, the development, not just of the program itself, but, you know, the players. And, you know, there's one really fantastic thing that's happened. I think it's in Bristol where 12 
players from the program at an age group was put forward to the county um, setup, and nine got through. So that is a fantastic um, situation. Nine out of one, nine out of one group got through. So, so though I really enjoyed, um, as you know, I'm a patron of that the the ACE program, uh, something that I'm passionate about, and um, you know, really want to work to assisting where I can um, in, I guess, leveling the playing field in that sense to give people the chance to, you know, develop to be whatever they want to be. So that's something that I've really enjoyed in the last week or so. Okay, Roland, many thanks for your time today and um, good luck with everything you do. And um, we look forward to catching up in the very near future. Darren, it's been a great pleasure. Thanks for listening to 98 Not Out, the cricket podcast. Please subscribe to the show in your podcast app to make sure you see the new episode each week as it appears in your feed. And if you enjoy the show, we'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts to help us introduce the show to even more people. Thank you so much, and we'll catch you on the next episode.